Hello, and welcome to the Culture and Leadership Connections podcast, where culture, communication, and context meet at work. In this podcast, you will discover what cultural influences have formed the careers of noteworthy leaders in a variety of professions by exploring the groups that shaped who they are today. Learn about the collective context and experiences that affect their worldview, leadership style, workplace communication, and behavior. I'm your host, Marie Gervais. You can connect with me by email with marie at shiftworkplace.com. Check out my LinkedIn profile and my company website, shiftworkplace.com. Today, my guest is Yvonne Chu, who is the Executive Director of the Multicultural Health Brokers Cooperative, a very unique organization that we're going to find out more about today. But first, let me tell you a bit about Yvonne before we get started. Yvonne was born in Burma and raised in Hong Kong. She immigrated with her family to Canada at the age of 16. And because of that, she learned firsthand what it's like to be a minority youth growing up in a strange new country. Upon graduating from the University of Alberta with a bachelor's degree of science with majoring in psychology, her first or one of her first jobs was working as a settlement practitioner in Edmonton's Chinatown, serving newcomer families from Hong Kong, Vietnam, and other parts of Asia. That led to her joining the Provincial Government's Multiculturalism Commission as a social development officer to support community-based organizations and public institutions with pursuing meaningful initiatives around multiculturalism. And from there, she started to work as a health promotions practitioner with the former Edmonton Board of Health. And this allowed her to interface with Indigenous, immigrant, refugee, and other marginalized populations in the city, for which she developed an easy affinity because she herself had experienced what it was like to grow up in the new country as an immigrant youth. So through this work, Yvonne, together with a total of 12 founding members, created a very interesting organization called the Multicultural Health Brokers Cooperative, which is an award-winning and unique immigrant-led workers' cooperative. And they're having their 20th anniversary this year as their formal institution. So it must be successful because it's been going on for a long time. And it's reputation is very well established. The community members that are participating are very, very much engaged in the fabric of community life, their own cultural communities, and in exchanging between communities to promote meaningful initiatives, which is part of the point of the Multicultural Health Brokers. So Yvonne's work has continuously focused on revealing the realities, struggles, strengths, and aspirations of immigrants, refugees, and other newcomers with the intent of shifting policies, programs, and practices so that they're more equitable. And uh, it nurtures the relationship between community members and service providers and policy makers, which is quite a unique role and catalyzes positive changes in the life circumstances of those community members and also the practitioners that work with them. So Yvonne is a person who's very passionate about what she does. She really works from the heart. And I'd like to start by asking Yvonne if she could tell us a little bit about who she is. So uh, Yvonne, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Marie. Yeah, that's a struggle. I, when you asked me to talk a little bit about who I am and what I do, maybe I truly identify a lot of who I am with my work, 
within the Multicultural Health Brokers Co-op. So as you mentioned, because I've been with this, uh, the founding members for, for 20 years plus, so much of who I am now is so intertwined into being part of that organization. So I'm the reluctant executive director because as a workers co-op, we are equal working shoulder to shoulder in a very flat organization. Hey? But my colleagues at Yvonne, you have to have a title kind of like that so other people know that we actually have management <laughs> in the organization. So right now, I am the reluctant executive director of the Multicultural Health Brokers. And of course, my job is mostly truly making visible the work of the organization, liaising with government, liaising with other key stakeholders, and maybe less involved than my colleagues in terms of on the ground serving the community. So in a nutshell, that's who I am and what I do right now. We're going to have to invent a new acronym instead of ED for executive director. It'll be R-E-D, reluctant executive director. (laughs) So the next question I wanted to ask you is if you could maybe share a couple of incidents from your childhood that you believe made you into the person you are today. I know when you share the questions ahead of time with me, I thought, oh my gosh, I don't have anything interesting to share. For me, um, Marie, when you read my bio, you mentioned that I was born in Burma and then moved to Hong Kong. So from the age of two until 16, I was in Hong Kong. And many of those years, interesting enough, was living in a very, um, in one apartment with 10 other adults. So so my mom, my dad, my two grandmothers, my aunties and uncles. And, you know, so I think, Living in an environment with many elders to relate to, I was very observant very early in life about relationship and dynamics and conflict that's natural to relationships. So very young, I was learning to kind of mediate a bit. You know, as a child, I can't do a lot, but I was highly conscious of that. And I I can feel my whole body as a little kid sensing the energy if there is emerging tension or everything is going fine in a household of so many people. Uh, I I really learned to be highly conscious of uh, human relationships and and the natural uh, ebbs and flow of positive or not so positive relationship. And the other part is uh, they're not incidents, just that uh, I'm very lucky. I have very loving parents who who are just amazing. So I I grew up in, in lots of love. And I think that has influenced me a lot because some had said that, Yvonne, you ooze love, even though I'm not conscious of it. So... That's how I'm going to answer your question, Marie. Does that make sense? Is that okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I think that opportunity to grow up in a small space with many other adults should not be underestimated because (laughs) it it allows you to not only sense, but to be able to negotiate and to take different positions fairly, fairly easily. So it kind of makes you into a chameleon for negotiating and arbitrating and helping others to feel included while moving them towards a common goal, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. You know, my daughter-in-law from Haiti is similar. She grew up in a household with eight other women, her adopted family and biological family in the same house, uh, all from different cultures. And then each side of the family had two other cultures in them. So she really learned to negotiate across difference and to sense things in the same way that you're talking about. I think it's interesting, even at a young age, how good she was at being the family negotiator when things came up. (laughs) Yes. If we're all born into some groups and then we also choose some groups or we have interests and professions 
and life experiences that put us into groups and each group has its own norms and ways of doing things. You were born into a group in Burma and you lived in a group in Hong Kong, you know, a family group and also a cultural group and a regional group. And then when you came to Canada, you had other groups. So from those groups that you've born into or that you lived into at a young age, which would you say has most influenced your sense of culture and self now? Well, I don't know. I might need to compare my growing up years with my friends who also grew up in Hong Kong. You know, this is my own personal theory <laughs> that even though in China, uh, it's a country that for many years uh, didn't value girls, right, for, for many years. But in my observation, at least in my family and others' families, the matriarch actually has a very strong influence in the lives and the well-being of others. It might not be explicit, but it's very palpable and implicit. And so remember I mentioned I I had two grandmothers. I lived with both of them. And my maternal grandmother, I thought, you know, according to my theory, are the true leaders, first of all, in our family, but probably is a microcosmic icon of other Asian or Chinese families where the matriarch is the real leader in the family. And why I said that, maybe I'm a little bit biased, but my maternal grandmother was the most peaceful human being and the most most loving, unconditional person. And so even when she doesn't speak, you feel her leadership in the form of her grace and her unconditional love. And I, I hope I'm right <laughs> in my theory that actually the women are the true leaders in the Chinese family. And so I I would say that influenced me a lot, just watching and observing my grandmother on my mother's side, being a very quiet, sometimes invisible, but yet powerful and influential leader in just her whole being of so loving and so caring. And so honestly, as to term neutral, like so neutral. So she was very inspiring. And then later in life, got very interested in Taoism. And I always thought, gee, my grandmother was a Taoist leader. She's not imposing. It's in her grace and creating so much space for others to be themselves. She actually helping promote the best in everyone and the best for all involved. So I think being of, uh, of Chinese descent, watching my grandmother and also studying a bit about Taoism, that really made me feel very proud to be Chinese <laughs> because uh, that I uncovered that there is a different kind of leadership. An introverted person like me could be quotation a leader uh, without having to be very much out there. Leadership through grace, leadership through love, Leadership through being a silent capacity building channel for others. That's the deepest power of all, mm -hmm. really. Yeah. And just because people aren't jumping up and down about how they want to copy it doesn't mean that it isn't super powerful. In fact, it's got to be the foundational piece to anything that makes a difference in the world, I would think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Marie, I believe in that. And gives you such a strong sense of cultural pride. It won't be broken by people who don't understand because yeah. you, you're solid within yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you, Marie. Yeah. So from the groups you chose to belong to, can be any group, what aspect of those cultures would you say you've adopted into your leadership style? Yeah, well, the next group that influenced me so much, of course, is my colleagues within the Multicultural Health Brokers Co-op. You know, 20-some years together, I literally grew up with many of them and continue to grow with them. And being with them, I really learned how we have so much in common in the share humanity of being human. And they really taught me that in some ways, we can really build solidarity and love and relationship across great diversity. They really have. And the kind of relentlessness, because I'm very lucky to work with 
my colleagues from many of them are natural leaders in their own community. And so not only did they have to struggle with their own post-migration challenges and stresses there, they have always very generously gave their time to support others. And it just showed me how strong human beings can be, including some with very difficult pre-migration life circumstances. Eh? So I think being with this group, I grew to believe that human beings are incredibly strong and they're stronger if they're surrounded by love, you know, somewhat like the kind of love I was lucky to get growing up. And so we try our very best to give each other the kind of support. And in the organization, we do use the word love. We say we love the people we serve and we do love each other. And um, not in a way, sometimes some might mistaken that we are not um, honoring professional boundaries. Uh, we're very clear about our professional boundaries, but there is a, a definition of love that is uh, very transcending. And it can happen between any of us, even with strangers, right? So I think with the group that now I belong to, I am learning a lot about love and how to honor each other and how to see, you know, really the beauty and strength that human beings have. Which, and, is, which is really wonderful because there is a culture, people have sometimes called it the emerging global culture or they used to call it the cosmopolitan culture, which isn't quite the same thing. And then more recently, they call it the third culture that emerges from people from disparate groups working together towards a common goal fueled by love. Basically, yeah. they then are able to make connections and have an effect in ways that they never would if it wasn't that love that fueled their actions. And yeah. being loving doesn't mean you're in any way unprofessional. Mm-hmm. Yes, so we're determined to promote love <laughs> in the context of good service and collaboration with our colleagues uh, in all sectors. Yeah, <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah, uh, which kind of leads right away into my next question, which is how would you say your temperament and your personality affect the way that you see the world? I think it's clear that your ancestry uh, and your the elders in your family and the Taoist influence have oriented you toward loving relationships between people. But then what about your temperament being what you're born with and personality, what you acquired over time? How would you say those things have influenced who you are now? You know, I mentioned just briefly earlier that I'm a very extreme introvert <laughs> and yet very engaged in relational work and, you know, sort of started when I was two years old living with so many others. Hey, So I think I, I am by nature uh, very reserved and also get very drained quickly if I have to be with a large group of people for a long, long time. So I need time to reflect and to rejuvenate. And so that's my temperament. So, I, you know, of course, then as you hear my story, I'm as a young kid, I'm surrounded by people and in my organization I'm very fortunate to be surrounded by loving colleagues so I do need time to step away <laughs> a bit sometimes not physically step away I try and create a little bit of an opportunity for myself to rejuvenate because I am a very serious introvert uh, but in a way it also helps because as an introvert I, I then would allow myself to listen more to everyone and not feel like I have to speak a lot to share my opinion or my perspective so it helps me actually in my reservedness to listen more and you know for many years I took on the role of facilitators in many meetings or initiatives which was quite a good training and fits my personality in that it's more listening and also uh, sometimes um, gathering the diverse views and then reflecting back. So being introverted and reserved actually helps me in many ways in life. It helps you to, to build the capacity of the group because first off, you have to see it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then you have to value it and then be willing to draw it out and then facilitate people working together, which isn't always easy. People Mm -hmm. have histories um, and from the history can sometimes come a lot of pain and perhaps behaviors that aren't what they would necessarily choose to do if they were thinking about it logically. Yeah. Yeah. But you can help them get past that because you have that combination of being very concerned and interested in people and yet being able to take a step back and look at it uh, introspectively. And just like when I, when I was a little child in my own family, I still sense uh, emerging tensions and I feel the energy of the group and try. Hopefully I'm right on top of uh, that and accurate in my reading. So I, I would try and maybe steward the process a little bit, f- sensing some of the emerging uh, energies of tensions or, or extreme harmony in how to optimize on it. So I think my temperament helps me in my life and my work right now. Certainly. Can you recall a time when you became aware that your cultural understandings were specific to you and not just normal? Uh, I think this probably was the question I have the greatest difficulty answering. Marie, can you can we play with this a little bit? So- of course. So as people discover more and more what it's like to work in different cultures, they discover it through running up against assumptions. Yeah. And I'm just going to give you an example. I have a refugee from the Middle East living with me right now, my husband and I have. And we keep running into assumptions about things that we thought we were being, that we were listening and closing the feedback loop and using plain English and all that sort of thing. But it doesn't always help. You have to still run up against some of the cultural assumptions. So, for example, he said he wanted to make this special chicken dish for everybody and we should invite some guests because it would be really delicious. And I said, sure, let's do that. So we did that. And then my husband and I went off to work it. But after explaining the oven, getting him to demonstrate so he knew how to use it. But once he was there by himself, he looked at the oven. He thought it's not possible. 200 degrees Celsius is going to be way too hot. <laughs> and I had completely assumed that he would know that although the weather man is talking about weather in terms of Celsius, that the oven is in Fahrenheit because that's the way we do things in Canada. (laughs) He was completely baffled. (laughs) So by the time we came home and all the guests arrived, he jokes about it now that he's very good at making chicken sweat in the oven, but not cook. So (laughs) (laughs) So, that's so funny. And then it really made me think, how many confusing things do we have here? Weights and measures, liters for gas, pounds in the grocery store, or some things in pounds, some things in kilos, some things in, you know, we've got some European sizings, we've got some... Uh, Asian sizings, we've got some American sizings, we have Canadian sizings in the stores. How can any immigrant figure this out? It just just hit me. So that's when I then became aware of how being Canadian, you get used to all these weird things that would be completely unacceptable in other cultures because they've got a single system that they're using for weights and measures. (laughs) Yes. Can you think of anything in your life where that would have happened to you? Uh, I think the Chinese culture actually put a lot of emphasis on context and the unspoken. If you look at Chinese painting, it's, it's actually not focusing on what's painted. You also look at what's not painted. And so this kind of unspoken orientation to the not so visible, the contextual, we found it's not normal to other friends in other cultures we tend to put a lot more emphasis on what's not explicitly seen. It's actually part of the context. It's not the focal point. 
we put a lot of awareness and attention on that. And so uh, it could lead to miscommunication and just mismatch of understanding because um, we do notice the unspoken and the uh, implicit or the invisible. So you would have become aware that at some point other people were not picking up on those things, that they were looking instead at what people said, but not how they said it or the context that they're in or the tone of their voice or things like that. Yeah. That's right. And if sometimes I pointed this out, others might not see it and they might not believe me. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And yet the full idea of high context and low context cultures. Yeah. So a high context culture means you're really taking in everything that's around you and really paying attention so that you know the situation. But how would you explain that to a low context culture? Because they don't even have the language to describe it. Yeah. So um, we're getting close to the end of the interview. And I wanted to ask you, if, some, if there were an employer mm-hmm. who were to hire you and uh, you were in the position of saying, this is how uh, we can work best together, what tips would you give to that employer about working with you? Mm. I suspect you might have something to do with context, but <laughs> what would you say? What tips would you give about what's a great way to work with Yvonne? Uh, okay, great way to work with Yvonne or someone like Yvonne is please... Uh, Don't judge me for being an introvert and please allow me sometimes to point out things that doesn't seem very present or obvious in a situation because I could be reading an invisible context that's actually sensed in different ways. It might not be visual or auditory, but there are often contextual aspects to any given moment that some of us could pick up on. And in a way, just trust sometimes colleagues like us who bring other senses or other ways of being and they actually really would be very helpful to many situations. So it's actually good to have introverts, to have people who sense, oh, I sense such energy in the room and and believe us because often they are true. And in fact, uh, those who are introverted like us and who can sense things that others don't sense, we are probably very good at helping uh, read situation and help people come together in a relational way because we have to ourselves. So really, I'd say one of your strengths is being able to read social realities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So and to be able to sense different energies and how to harmonize them, bring them together. Yeah. Yeah. And so an employer could work well with you if that employer were willing to sit back and allow you to do something like that and learn from the situation, I would think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I, I would say uh, those of us who are reserved and introverted, we might like someone to sometimes actually deliberately open a space for us. So yeah, to, so say, like, yeah, to yeah. say, well, Yvonne, we haven't heard from you yet. And yeah. it would be wonderful to hear what your take is on the situation now that you've heard a few other people speak, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, right. So is there anything else you'd like to say that you just as you're going through the process of this interview, maybe something came up? You know, something that I really wanted to remind and share with our friends who are the audience here is I think within the Multicultural Health Brokers Co-op, because of our uh, organizational promise and commitment towards democracy and within the organization, it would be very important to truly create room for individuals, even in a hierarchical organization, for a sense of uh, democratic relationship. It's really important. I think as human beings, we yearn for that kind of relationship. And it's possible to have democracy inside hierarchy. That's my firm belief. So I'm inviting our friends and colleagues in the audience to think about that because it's good for our souls to have um, democratic relationships. I love that. You can have a hierarchy that's respectful, 
and in which people's opinions are sought and thought through and incorporated so that the individual and the agency become more porous in the relationship with each other. It's not just a one-way relationship. It's a real relationship, which is always a shared understanding that's built. Yeah. That's right. And even for us who deliberately became a workers' co-op, we have to constantly remind ourselves, say, we might lose that essence uh, of, you know, once in a while without being very conscious of. At the Multicultural Health Brokers, are there some special events that are coming up that you would like to draw the audience's attention to? It could be that they are just coming up and maybe one time or is something that you do regularly throughout the year that you'd like to draw people's attention to? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe um, it's not an open event in terms of all of our friends and colleagues in the audience could join, but maybe we invite everyone to send us good energy on that day. <laughs> it's actually September 22nd. We're very lucky to be co-hosting an event inviting colleagues from government and other key sectors to learn through stories shared by our community members about housing insecurity within the immigrant, refugee and newcomer population. It's our chance to try to say that human stories stories can inform policy and change um, practice within formal system. And so wish us luck that day. And we're very lucky to have very supportive colleagues within the city and a couple of uh, city councillors. But we will be meeting others for the first time and inviting our own community members to share very personal stories of housing insecurity. But Stories are highly illustrative of many, many families in the city who are within our population. So we just uh, hope everybody will send us good energy and wish us good luck and uh, so that we can really illustrate how narrative can inform policy. And so if people are listening to the podcast after September 22nd, it's kind of an invitation to in some way get involved with housing insecurity initiatives wherever you happen to be, because many people in the world are not in a safe place to live. And if you have never had that experience of not knowing if you're going to have a roof over your head, you have no idea how much that's foundational to your basic human rights. Yeah, it's a great invitation for people to consider that. And if they would like to contact you, Yvonne, I will put your email and the website into the show notes. But is there any other way that you think would be good for people to contact you? Well, I think, Marie, what you suggested would be good. We're very uh, attentive to any communication coming forward through email. Through email and the website. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. And I really appreciated this time and the contribution of your thoughts and your insights. This podcast is really about helping to build relationships. And so I think you're a prime example of how that can work and how that can work in a format that you basically came up with and then has been developing and has actually been working well for 20 plus years. So that's great. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Marie. Wasn't that a beautiful interview? Yvonne really knows how to bring insight, depth, and kindness to every conversation. She is the personification of grace and gentleness. Her point about finding spaces for introverts to contribute is a very important one. Yvonne's message is that if we aren't attentive to context, we might miss the most important message that is being whispered rather than loudly proclaimed. In quiet, listening, and stillness, we can be mindful of others' less obvious stories and become aware of their gifts. The benefit for all is more harmony and happiness at work, something we can certainly never have too much of. And what a wonderful way to discover the talents of everyone
everyone in the organization and learn to use them more effectively. I hope you enjoyed this interview. Please rate our podcast so we can get more people seeing and hearing culture and leadership connections. You can go to iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and give us a rating. Let us know what you think. You can also connect with me, Marie Gervais, by email with marie at shiftworkplace.com. Looking forward to hearing your comments and to seeing your ratings.